This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, an informative podcast with various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, aka the Southern GM, and with me we have James Bardwell. Hi! And Brody Elder Fenris, and I don't call him that, not just because I don't know his last name. <laughs> I exist. <laughs> uh, actually, it's kind of interesting about today's topic. Well, you could say it involves last names, uh, you know, as today's topic we'll be discussing is one that a lot of dungeon masters and players often have issue with, and that is the backstory. My issue is that it's my favorite part of playing the game. Now, I, I love detailed backstories. I love, you know, simple backstories. I just like backstories that let me know you are invested in the story in some way. It doesn't have to be the 30-page uh, novella that our dear Bard is known for. Staring at me, like, targeted so uh, much. Or, it doesn't ha- or I've had one where he literally turned in a one-sentence backstory. I was like, I need a little bit more, fam. That's not everybody's thing. <laughs> but so I have come up, I have 10 or 11 questions here that usually... When I'm either making a backstory, when I'm reading over a backstory, kind of the one, this is what I look for. Uh, so I think we'll just get started with, um, first off, uh, who is your character? Like, what is their name? That kind of stuff. The very simple things like that. So for me, like, that is not a direct answer about my character. Pretty much all of my backstories start with my parents. Because, um, like, for the formation of a person, you have to really kind of look at those formative years and that involves your parents. So for me, I'd pretty much always start with parents. Fair. Who is your uh, daddy and what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> That's Thank fair. you. Like, I, I have these number, but uh, we could start on any one of these. And actually, one of them is the uh, uh, who who or where is your family and who raised you? That actually is a very, is a very important one. Because uh, ultimately, for good or elk, we are the culmination of our parents' uh, actions or lack thereof. That's at least the foundation. You know, as individuals, we go, we go somewhere from there, you yeah. know. There's a natural point in life where you digress from that or separate from that. And that happens with characters as well. But it is the foundation and the starting point. I think with uh, because we we all want to be superheroes, the most common thing for that is, well, my parents are dead, which that's fine. If if you want that to be to be the interaction of your backstory with your parents, that's great. If that sweet, sweet edge does it for you, that's OK. If you want to be Batman, go for it. Uh now the the game we just finished with Jeff a few a few weeks ago, like my because I came in so late, my character Artie didn't know his parents, so I gave that power to the dungeon master to say, hey, if they're alive, great. If they're dead, that's up to you. I you know I literally was dropped at the uh, the doorstep of the cathedral when I was a baby. I'll let you determine why, but I just a quick backstory get me into, into the action so to speak. And then Jeff turned around and went, yes, you you were dropped at the orphanage. You were the only illegitimate child of the king to survive the great purge. What? Yes, you already are heir to the throne. I, I asked for this. I, I I should have been more clear. I asked for this. Okay. So, like, for me, that, that kind of uh, hanging thread is probably the sweetest and most fun to do thing for a GM. When a character, when a player gives you a character backstory... And it has loose ends intentionally. Yes, for you to play with, that is the best. Um, I started doing that playing with Brody. Uh, before I would just write a story, and I love writing stories. But like with Brody, uh, I kind of was was rushed with um, 
Scoven or Butcher's backstory. And I left some things unfinished and he just kind of picked up on those and like pulled at them and made that into some story elements. And I, I would definitely say when you're writing your backstory, leave three or four things hanging and just let the DM play with it. Yeah, I like I enjoy a good detailed backstory, but I also have a backstory that is the I heard it explained to me as generically detailed. You know, instead of going, well, I come from this specific town and this specific place. Well, I grew up in a small frontier village. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, you know, raids were common in nearby, that county. Well, you, you leave room for your dungeon master. You go, oh, okay. Well, there's this frontier village here that's very important to my story. Yeah. And now we can move your family and it helps build it. Uh, and so I kind of leave into that. It's almost as important as, you know, who you came from, so to speak, is where did you come from? Yep. Where, where were you raised? Where did you grow up? Was it a... Was it a? Was it the? We're going to use the the more popular, well known, uh, Forgotten Realms. Was it the big thundering metropolis of Neverwinter, Waterdeep, or were you the small city of like Tribor, and or were you raised on the edge of the Evermores? That kind of stuff. So, like that for me is kind of the frame to the Mona Lisa, uh, your your setting and where you came from and stuff. Um, a beautiful picture is always complemented by a very nice frame. Yes, and that does that job. Brody. <laughs> I zoned out. Sorry, uh, ADHD is hard today. But and that's the thing. Like people, the the thing about like where you came from, that can be as big of a character point as you know, who like your parents. Because we'll take for instance, there are some well known uh, places in various multiverses that have a, I guess a, a stigma attached to it. Uh, most recently, the more popular one here is thanks to uh, the Dungeons and Dragons movie Honor Among Thieves is a lot of newer people were introduced to the Red Wizards of Thay. Yeah. And the Athaeans are, some of them are not very nice people. But then you had the one character, uh, Zax, the uh, the paladin, who while he is a Athean, is not like the rest of them. So there is always that standout of, you know, yeah, I, you know, for the Pathfinder, I came from Chiliax, but I am not like them. I, uh, I remember I played a campaign, and it was kind of Arthurian, uh, in its origins, but this guy had an area in his prep material he gave us that was primarily uh, wizards. They they prized intellect, you know, that was kind of what they focused on. And I thought this would be really fun to kind of do the reverse bullying thing, right? Oh, yeah. So my guy was very um, athletically oriented. Um, he was a paladin, you know, he's a real strong dude. And uh, just being kind of belittled and eschewed in the society he came from, it was fun to play that, and that only happened because of the setting. Yeah, you know. So it was. It, it felt. It was a lot of fun role play when he went out somewhere else in the world, and he was able to see his talents appreciated instead of being the person who is not like everybody else, and he was eschewed for that. So yeah, that's a lot. That's that's actually kind of interesting because one of the things I think about is I think about with backstories like that is, uh, is there something about like my my lineage, my race, my ancestry? That makes that can make it a a point like that where you know in a in a society of wizards I am athletic or uh, you know in a society where uh, everything is based on divine magic I use arcane magic that kind of stuff uh, I was a dwarf raised by elves th that whole thing which that plays into the backstory like yep. uh, or you know yes I was born uh, you know I was born a dwarf raised by dwarves but we lived in a massive city instead of the uh, you know, the the Rocky Mountains and the Undercrofts, that kind of stuff. Well, you mentioned the D&D &D movie, and they got into that a little bit with it, with the the Druid character, if I remember yes, right. Yes. Um, oh, Lord, what was her name? 
Uh, one of my great character, uh, very much played into the whole, you know, because she mentioned my parents didn't want a tiefling child. Uh, the whole thing, her parents didn't want a tiefling child, and she was raised by the Emerald Enclave and then turned into one of their great warriors and such. And Spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. Yeah, it's... <laughs> I have not seen the movie yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll back off then that, yeah. No yeah. more D&D movie references. Yes. Sorry. I was very sad to see them do the trope of the bard and the dragon. I just, it, it was horrible. A really so, disturbing scene once you think about it. Yeah, um, just for, some of the some of the logistics involved, like defied magic. Thirteen movie. I didn't think they'd go that far with it. Literally that far. Yeah. The look of concern <laughs> on Brody's face, right? <laughs> so I like uh, talking about uh, backstories. You mentioned uh, leaving uh, hanging threads. Yes, hanging threads, <laughs> breadcrumbs, anything for the demon to pick up. Uh, so one of my prompts that I give my players is um, I, I say when you're doing your backstory for this character, uh, give me three NPCs. They could be family, they could be relatives, they could be acquaintances, and uh, make up a place. Give me a place. And, you know, that gives you something to work and build on because you've got, all right, you're also giving me a chance to uh, add a place to the setting. One of one of the things I really liked about your setup for uh, us preparing backstories is you also asked us to give you two minor goals and one major goal. Yes, um, which is which is really nice because sometimes in a game you lose sight or lose track of your motivation, and yes. it's really good to have a clear defined. Hey, this is something I'm trying to do. You know, and the. The minors and then a major, that gives you a scope of an expectation of how you can, uh, when you can get that done. It gives you a focus to yeah. to uh, give your character a, not necessarily tunnel vision, but it keeps them on track, so to speak. And I mean, goals can change mid-game too. Yeah. Like yep. you can accomplish your minor goals really quickly and your major one is still far off. Or sometimes the flip side happens. You accomplish the major goal way earlier than <laughs> you should have. It, yeah. That's like when uh, when Butcher found his wife. That was one of his goals. Yeah. I actually think that was one of his major goals, and we got to it way sooner than I thought we would. Uh, you didn't ask me to, but I gave you another goal as soon as we were done with that. And it, it actually kind of took my character out of the story because when I finished that, I was like, huh, I don't really have a big goal anymore. What do I do? And I was like, well, naturally, I have... I've been looking for my wife. I have found my wife. I'm going to have to step back with this character because he wants to spend yeah. some time with his wife. Makes sense. And he did. And I made another character. And he came back in the story later with his wife's permission. He's like, baby, can I go play with the guys? And she, was, <laughs> she was like, yeah, go ahead. You, you mentioned the uh, NPCs. I, I asked, uh, give me some people who are important to you. And that could be for like, we mentioned earlier for like good or ilk. Or is this a, a best friend growing up? Was this a rival for you? Uh, was this the individual who ransacked your village? You know, the whole thing about uh, for me, it was a Tuesday. That kind of thing. Where who are some who are some important people to you, and for what reason are they important? Then you can use that because the DM can then use that to like mold it into. It. But you mentioned like long term goals. What I love, I, I love what I call character quests. Like give give me, and you mentioned a long term and short term goal because then I can take those and make a uh, a quest line that can you know it can weave into the overarching quest. It can be a side quest for like small character development moments. Like we just, in the natural ones, we finished uh, Kieran Steadybrook's quest where he faced the former owner of the circus he used to be in. And it turns out she was the reason his parents, like she literally killed his parents. And doing that, enacting a ritual of blood and fire called forth an archdevil. 
uh, to make a deal with. And there was this whole big thing that was a really interesting moment where it culminated in a uh, a fight in a demi plane of greed and what was essentially this giant circus tent. And this devil was just tearing them apart. And Kieran used uh, he had I think this is he had no, he has one more left, but he had pulled the wish spell from Deck of Many Things and used a wish to basically his wish was to give everybody a long rest. And so. <laughs> The thing is, they had worked that devil down to about half its strength, but they were all like in, in the one HP, and then two of them were actually down. So they powered back up and then fought this devil full power, and he was only, you know, so yeah, they overcame and won. It was a great moment. First of all, I really love that character name. Kieran Steadybrook? Kieran Steadybrook. I that love is Seth's that. character. That's Seth's character. That's Seth's character. What, uh, what, um, what race is? He is a halfling ranger fighter. That's pretty cool. Um, secondly, is that how they worded the wish? Uh, I wish for every member of the natural ones to be given a long rest. Oh, I'd have put them all to sleep right then <laughs> for eight hours. Well, his, his exact, <laughs> the exact words were the effects of a long rest. Okay. That's different. That's that different. also means that the one former PC, uh, who had died also got the effects and was brought back to full health. And he's currently clunking around in a, uh, tavern and no, i'm not a cavern that they made his tomb into which has the last pieces of void stone in it so there's future Ooh. quest lines there interesting <laughs> see that that was something that he that was a uh you mentioned a, a breadcrumb or a uh a thread he gave me that i have taken now and for future campaigns we have we have more added to it uh but you also mentioned goals somebody asked them what motivates you like what are your motivations for your character that's an important uh, one. Like, Very important. It could be, and also that kind of includes into why are you this class? Why are you this subclass? Like, what made you want to be a fighter? What made you want to be a wizard? That kind of stuff. So, a lot of people, most people, from my experience, they look at class and race and they put a character together and then they write a backstory for that character. I do that completely the other way around. I decide who I want the character to be. And then I struggle with my limited understanding to create the logistics of that character with the book. Um, probably not the easiest way to do it, but for me, like the character is more important than mechanics. Yes. You can tell from the way I play too. It's if I'm not enjoying playing the character, no amount of uh, technical badassery is going to make me happy with it. Very true. So I, I do that the other way around. Uh, like the we we're getting prepped, uh, the, hopefully beginning of May to play a game together, which I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. Uh, like my thing was, I, I like I like Dragon Ball. I love playing Dragon Ball. They're so fun to play. Uh, I still remember that game out of town we went to, and there were like <laughs> like eight people playing, and six of them were Dragonborns. Dragon yeah. The guy, the the guy. I'm going to use this term very loosely. The GM that was running the game was like, "How many people are playing Dragonborns?" And it was like me and uh, one old lady. I'm sorry. We're not playing Dragonborns. That yeah. we're not playing Dragonborns. Yeah. Me and her were the only two people not playing Dragonborns. <laughs> so my old butt and her. Yeah. So uh, like I started off with, because originally I wanted to play, I love gym dragons because they get the uh, the gym gym flight. They can summon wings and fly mm -hmm. later on. Uh, but our our dungeon master, uh, shout out to Night Rain, uh, said, no, they're not here yet. I'm like, fine. Uh, so, you know, I'll go, I like metallic dragons. Yeah. And uh, spoilers, I was like, you know, I'm suddenly kind of attracted right now to bronze dragonborns for various reasons of the natural ones. So I'm like, okay, let's go with the bronze dragon. She gave me some background. I'm like, okay, I like the idea of this guy being kind of like a, um, like a, like he's a student. He is a, a scholarly thing. Uh, and I don't, and I rarely play druids. I've never actually played a druid to fruition. 
Yeah. I was like, well, okay, let's maybe he studies like, you know, creatures. So we can make him a druid. Like, what if he studies ancient creatures? Creatures that he's only seen fossils and artist depictions of. So, and I ran this by her and she she agreed to it. My idea for my guy is he only transforms into prehistoric creatures. He's uh, a fossil hunter. His name, by the way, is Jur. Jur Asik. <laughs> the, the look face. of disappointment the on face Brody's Brody face. made. <laughs> I thought you were just gonna go way on the nose and be like Alan Grant. That, no, that, that that was the first that was the first shot. Uh no, no, the, the, the actually I just gave some some thought into it, but yeah. So like preparation and like planning for your backstory is fantastic. You definitely always need to do that. Uh but um there is something to say about uh working through some aspects of the backstory during the game. Yes. The one shot that we played with Nicole that led up to this campaign yep. happening. Uh I was playing an Eric Cochran druid, uh who was Basically, B.A. Baracus from the A-Team. It was great. The fact, <laughs> um, the fact you were an Eric Ogre, that made it even better. Yeah, like the irony of that character and he's flying. But um, like during the progress of the game, uh, there was this situation that happened where I I needed money and decided, okay, I got 32 children to support. <laughs> oh and my like, God. That immediately became part of the backstory. And like his motivation from that point really helped me get into the play of the game. So I would definitely say, you know, it's okay if you can't decide on some things when you're writing your backstory, leave them open. And yeah. then when when an appropriate natural place happens in the game, bam, plug it in. Like there there is so much stuff that's happened like the natural ones where I didn't plan for it, but somebody would make a mention of it and be like, yep, that's canon. That's canon now. We're writing that down. That's canon. Oh yeah. Many times in games I've heard that's canon <laughs> and the the self-designated note taker, uh Night Rain uh, writes things down. <laughs> but yeah, so a uh, motivations, that kind of thing. Uh, another thing is, you kind of mentioned this can kind of evolve as the game progresses, but what is your character's personality? Like, are they, they standoffish? Are they very, you know, uh, more like, they don't want to, uh, they don't like confrontations? Are they the ones that, you know, they want to be the face of the group, that kind of stuff? Because you want to kind of, I understand like there is a, uh, you, you, you want the personality to make sense. Like you don't want the player who's playing the bard to be the face to be the person who doesn't do all the talking, that, that kind of stuff. Like now I understand there's a difference between your real world skills versus your skills on paper. And we can get into a whole big session about that, but someone who is statistically geared to do one thing. That kind of harkens back to learning to for the party to define their roles. Yes. A little bit. Yeah. And that, that, again, goes back to Zero Session, which we've talked about several many times, and it's very important. I will say, though, with without any equivocation, personality is going to be the most difficult part of putting your character together. Yes. Um, personality is a baseline. Uh, like, uninterrupted, this is the default. But so many things happen to affect us. Um, the, what is it? The Joker quote? The... All it takes uh, to turn me into all it takes to turn a good man into me is one bad day. Thank you. So, like that, that is a declaration of how complicated personality is, and it's it's okay if you're in a situation where you vary from your personality, as long as that personality is your baseline. You get really good role play when things push you off your baseline. Yes, uh, and that that's okay to do. So, don't when you're writing your backstory, don't think. I have to rigidly stay within these two lines because that's my personality. As as someone uh, and this the the first character I played in Jeff's game and it called and I 
I came in with that, like, okay, these guys, you know, they're this well-knit group, this high levels. Okay. So I have to come in established. I'm moving. This is my personality. And it caused, there was a lot of, a lot of tensions and it caused a lot of issues. So I went, okay, well, let me step back. And well, even though, yeah, this guy's coming at level, level 12 or 13, let's start him from the beginning. Let's start him at the baseline and worked up and Artie became everybody's like. I, he was the best, man. Like I loved <laughs> Artie's character. He was a lot of fun interactions. And by the end of the campaign, he was King Artie. Yeah, right? that, that was, yeah, the the point there where I'm, I'm like staring at my father who is, you know, angry that one of his bastard children still survives. And I get a mess from you going, whatever, whatever you want to do, Artie, Thesis will back your play. And right there, Artie's like, this man, he, he, he cannot be allowed to live. And yep. I swung on him and it just was this whole like Brutus and a Caesar moment. And it was, it was great. It was, yeah. Like the whole table though, like, and including, I believe Jeff, who was Jim in that game, um, the whole table was just like, oh, oh God. Okay. Cause like he showed up with like an army yeah. with him, you know, and like, it's us on the field of battle. Surely we had just done some pretty awesome stuff, but there was still a whole lot of them and we were out of spell slots. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of one of those moments where the 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 role play and the backstory met up together and just a uh, it, it was it was beautiful. Yeah. I have a weird struggle with this where uh when I'm DMing, it's it's way easier for me to make backstories for NPCs and characters, villains, all that kind of stuff. I give them motivations and I give them personalities. It's so easy for me to do that. When I'm playing, I just I sit down and I just, it's like blue screen. I'm like, what do I do? And not, I have I, no idea why I do that. I am so glad I'm not the only one that does that sometimes. Like it's it's it is difficult. Like, okay, cool. So I want to play this guy and me. Like, what do I do? That's happened to me a lot. And I, I'm like, why? Do, I don't have this difficulty when I'm behind the screen. When I'm on the other side, I'm like, uh, who is this guy? Where did I, I, he come from? I think I think one of the reasons there's a struggle with that, because I think all GMs probably struggle with that when they finally get a chance to play, is uh, we are so used to slipping in and out of roles. Like, we move through several characters in the space of a game a lot of the time. Uh, when you sit down to play a game, you are committing to that character. It is something that you will have to maintain consistency with. And because we practice so much of, you know, moving between characters, maintaining consistency is is a little bit of a daunting task. See, for me, yeah. it's it's the fact that I I have very little, like, actual personal connections to my NPCs. Like, I there are some I love playing, that kind of stuff. But... But when my, I'm sorry, if any, if my guys listen, I have to say if an NPC dies, uh, if an NPC dies, it doesn't affect me as much as it would them. However, if I'm putting, you know, my own, my own part, my own effort into a PC to play, I am giving away control in some aspect of it. And that's yeah. a lot of the times it's like, well, how do, how do I do that? Like, what's the appropriate way to do that? How do I health for that kind of stuff? And it, it can be difficult for uh, GMs to, uh, you got to come up with all this to for a personal one, as opposed to this random uh, this random street vendor who was from this city and he found this card and they had this one item that he sold a lot of gold for, and that started his entire you know his his entire franchise now that kind of thing. NPCs are um, a reflection of the state of the game, whereas your character almost always at some point has some reflection of you in yes. it. Yes, uh, and like I. 
I am pretty, I'm a pretty personal private guy. Like I don't, I don't like to, unless we're close, let people really know about me, the real me, you know? And when you play a character, some of that gets put on the table. It does. And like when it's, when it's your character that you're playing over and over again, um, there's, it's almost like there's some vulnerability there, which vulnerability is a fantastic thing in the backstory. Um, if you if you if you love something in your backstory and we're I'm running your game, it's in danger. Yes, like, <laughs> just know that it's in danger. If you start if you start loving an NPC, you have put it in danger. Likewise, <laughs> yeah, I know, Brody. We know. Can't say anything right now because ongoing things are the natural ones. I can't give it away. Um, <laughs> I see that. I see that grin though. <laughs> I There's mean, a lot of times when my players hand me stuff and I'm, I'm reading them like, okay, oh, your family's still alive. Ooh. Noted. All I'm going to say is literally right now, a an ancient race that they thought had was long since extinct has returned, has just initiated a world war, and the natural ones have left their home with their four young dragonborn children. Oh, oh, no. Why would you do that? <laughs> anyway, so uh, <laughs> my condolences, guys. Uh, I kind of actually mentioned this earlier. Another thing to look into is uh, how does your character co- not fit but connect to the party? Do they know any of the par- other uh, party members? Are they meeting for the first time? Do they hear about them? That's an interesting one because yeah. I- I'm going to just come out on the nose there and say like the current Stagande group have had a little rough traction getting to that point where they're yeah. more connected. Yeah. And I, some of that is on me because I, I, I didn't do like the first campaign we did, it was easy. Like everyone kind of melded a way easier than the current group did. If there was any awkwardness in the first one, as far as connecting the group, we took care of it on the first session all at once because <laughs> like my guy was like living in the woods or something right <laughs> and they came through like it was a little bit of an odd connection point that again that was on me because i put myself out in the woods yeah. separate from from everybody else but uh like we handled that all in that first episode in the current campaign of Stagande, we've had to do a lot of finding our footing with one another and seeing how we fit together uh, to be honest it's probably more realistic to how a friend group comes together um, yeah, because everybody is relating to one another in these situations. We're stepping on each other's toes occasionally. Uh, you're discovering but, things about each other. Yeah, still. Exactly. And you're discovering it in a natural way. And that's that's almost always a little messy. Um, but in the last two, I think, sessions, we've hit the stride. And like it feels so awesome when that little bit of awkwardness and stuff being held back when that kind of gives way and and you click together for the first time that is awesome i a thing i like to do for that is i always ask what do you guys want to be be a starting group you want to be part of the same guild that kind of stuff uh but my favorite thing to do for players is to that first session be it session 0.5 which is usually the last half of session zero uh cool we're going to start with combat because you can, it's like you say, the best way to connect uh, is is on the field of battle. Mm-hmm. And because I don't want to really kill anybody, we, we, we in D&D, it's just the same mind process. Like the natural ones, they literally started in a tavern. After failing to locate the poison that smelled like almonds. Arsenic. 
Yes, they were digging through piles of peanuts for like half an hour before finally I threw them a bone and went, the smell of almonds is coming from that guy's pocket. Oh. Yeah. Uh, there was literally, uh, they in the tavern, they interrupted a assassination attempt on the tavern owner, who is Haggerty, which has become their, one of their greatest NPC friends. Uh, they then chased the, the assassins outside. There was this big fight in the street and that thrust them together. Like that drew them together. That moment of conflict, that moment of, you know, we need to rely on each other because I'm not saying I have, but hypothetically, if you find yourself in a bar fight, the best way to make friends is going to be the guy who steps up and helps you out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, like if somebody hit goes to hit you across the to cheap shot you across the back and somebody takes a you know a stool to that guy you two are now the best of friends. Oh yeah, instant bond. Hypothetically. Hypothetically, one of the things that I want to do for the next next campaign or whatever game that's long form, I want to have everyone build their characters at the same time at the table pre-established that they already know each other that's part of that that session zero i would Working love out that how how you knew each other and everything because i want to see how differently that plays out that is generally how i i do long form campaigns is we'll get together and we'll do characters right there together um i think your campaigns are probably the only ones i've played in where we like there this this campaign <laughs> the stagani we're doing now there was such an an inordinate amount of secrecy around character creation like we spent almost a year not talking to each other about the characters that we were carefully crafting oh, wow and it was excruciating i'm not gonna lie i tried to get around that so many times <laughs> i was like hey we don't have to tell brody let's uh let's we talk don't about have our to characters tell bro ho, ho, <laughs> well some of that was partly my fault because i wanted to for there to be actual surprises at the table when people revealed their abilities and stuff. Yeah. And some of it still happened. Like there was oh, something, yeah. I'm going to do this. And everyone goes, what? You could You're a what? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the, uh, I guess, kind of the the media version of that is the big reveal for Travis's character on the new Critical Role season was they thought, you know, Chetney Pocopy was this rogue, you know, until he drugged the chisel across his chest, and then he wolfed out, and it was a blood hunter like and throw. It was just great because you could see the look on Travis's face. He's always wanted to play. He's a always wanted to play. A Matt werewolf. finally let it happen. <laughs> uh, see, I think that that particular way is pretty cool because everyone probably knew what they thought his character yeah. was, but there was a surprise. Keep the surprise a surprise. Yes, you know, but a surprise is only augmented by the disparity between what they thought and what is. Yes. So you give them something to think, and then you hit them with what they did not know. Yes. Uh, you kind of like this, uh, you know, the, well, you know, he's over there. He's being, he's singing this, that, and the other. Very curious. Well, he's obviously a bard. Why did he just smite that individual? <laughs> oh, that man's a paladin. <laughs> uh, actually, it's kind of, you mentioned that, like the, uh, that the it is okay, it is okay to keep secrets from like your fellow party members that kind of stuff, but you want to make sure you don't keep necessary information. Yeah, big difference. You big, you know. Uh, for instance, if your guy is for some reason your backstory, you put okay. Well, uh, my guy, I tried. He uh, he he's uh, on the run for attempting to assassinate the, the king of this place. You, you mean the king of the city you're currently in? Yes. Okay, do you think you should tell? Nope, I'm not going to tell them. Okay, so if they get caught with you, they're going to jail with you as well. 
Or worse. Or worse. I had one game where the guy tried to do that. Uh, the party members found out because your dungeon, the dungeon master put a wanted poster in the world. Not saying who the dungeon master was. Cough. And then they turn, turn, probably turned that guy in for the 10,000 gold bounty. <laughs> That's a lot of gold for a guy I just met. And he didn't even help me in the bar fight. Exactly. And he asked, man, why'd you like it? It was because, man, your character, I'm sorry, but it, it didn't, it didn't make, it, it did not fit the current with the, you literally sat there in the corner you you were doing nothing. Um, it was it was one of those that he was. Uh, it he he role played his way and wanted you to fit to his style. Yeah, so he created some things in his backstory that caused problems for the group. Kind of a, a backstory faux pas. Yes, and I know you and I were talking a minute ago, and that one, I think you brought up one of the things that is probably the most aggravating to me as a DM when it comes to backstories. And that is like the character who at level one in their backstory, they've slain 30 dragons. Oh, and, God. You know, I was the, the I killed right God. hand of the king, the knight that, you know, it's just this huge disproportionate. Backstory, disproportionate backstory, which if you're if you're starting a game with a high level character campaign. Yeah, sure. Go nuts. You know, have fun with that. But if you're level, you know, one, two, three, four, five, you haven't lived that life yet. Yeah. You got to be proportionate. I have seen a flip side to that that I thought was really cool. It was a little little on the nose, like Game of Thrones esque. They were they were like a king's guard. They were part of like the royal yeah. guard. They were they started out as a fighter and everything, but they did something. They went against what others were doing. They because they it conflicted with their morals. They didn't agree with it, and therefore they were stripped of their title, their rank, exiled. I was like, okay, that's. That's not, yeah. they didn't go full out like, yeah. you know, I'm still, you know, the King's Guard kind of thing. For me, I would say if you're going to have a specific occupation or something that detailed in your backstory with a little bit of importance to it, you need to at least be starting your character at the place where they choose their path in yes. life. For most characters, that's around level, level three. three yeah. yeah. So if you're going to have a backstory like that, which I love what they did there, that's nice, but they need to at least be a level three character starting out. Because at level three, you're at the point in your life where you're like, this is what I'm doing. I, I've I've gotten the promotion. Now I just have to stand out. Right. I, I had a game where the guy was, it was, he came to me with this, this intricate backstory where he was, you know, uh, the Lord High General, this ancient kingdom, you know, this, yeah, all this like stuff. You're like, man, we are level. And then I get to the end and I go, and then he was slain in battle. Okay. I kept reading goes uh, later through a, magical misexperiment, his his soul was pulled back and thrust into the body of a warforged. He has all this knowledge, but he cannot use it because he's unfamiliar with his body. He's having to retrain and relearn everything. Mm-hmm. And I went, that's cool. Yeah. that So that is situationally awesome because you have people that sit down in your game, not the characters, but the people who have this wealth of life experience, yeah. right? They are literally, in the real world, a high-level character. And if you sit down with all of that in a first-level character, it's going to be kind of hard to meter what your first-level character would be, what they would know, because you're a higher level than your character, yeah. basically. So that is a fantastic way to let that that life experience from the person come through in their character. And I love how he played it, because like there was one time where he was you know, like fighting this, that, and the other, uh, and you know he does an ability and rolls a natural one, and so like someone goes, we thought you were this grand. Well, it worked the last time I did it. When was the last time you did it? 300 years ago. Leave me alone. It was this this whole, and it was it was great. I loved how he played it. Uh, 
And then this, you know, it, it was really, really cool because that was a, yeah, you could, you could take the, the, this, you know, well-known famous heroic character, but it doesn't matter if he's in a brand new body and he doesn't know how to work it. So <laughs> it, it was, it was hilarious. It was great. I may, I told him, I said, man, I'm going to take this idea if you don't mind one day and build a similar character with it. What, um, I, I, I would like for us all to answer this. Okay. What is the keynotes of the favorite backstory you have either written or read? Oh, man. I, I'll go first and give you guys kind of like a chance to, okay. to think about that. Um, for me, it is in caches, and I won't reveal anything because this is an, an ongoing game, not anything really specific. But when I finished the backstory, like I had some tears in my eyes. And like I was like, this is this is moving. Like I I feel this. And then I sent it to Brody. And then probably 30 minutes later, Brody sends me back this text and he's like swearing at me. Um and like that is probably one of my proudest moments writing a backstory <laughs> is for the DM to send a text swearing at you. <laughs> First of all, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Like, that's probably one of my proudest backstory moments. I carry his backstory around with me. Like, I like it that much. Mine would be uh, a, because this has happened a few times. It's happened a couple times in Natural Ones where they send me a backstory where I go, all right, at, do they read my notes? Is that, because I literally have this in my notes for, a, yeah. for something. And the, this is beautiful. Or the other caveat, man, that's, that's amazing and moving. That's much better than what I had written down. I just, <laughs> but correct it's, the notes. It's that moment where their backstory, it just seems like it's like it's been there in your world the entire time. When when a player takes the time to appreciate what the GM has done, because that goes unseen a yes. lot of the time. The all of the stuff you have in those books that they can't see because it was ruined the game, it when they don't when they when they appreciate what you do show them, man, that feels really good. And oh like, yeah. I I don't, I, I read over what the DM gives me because a lot of it is like technical. Yeah. Um, now, if they give me some juicy emotional stuff, I'm going to dig into that. Um, in the Coles game, though, I'm actually trying to familiarize myself with the gods and, you know, what's going on in the land and stuff. For one, like the caliber of players at that table, there's a lot of really good players there. So I want to be on point. And two, N Night Rain is intimidating with the way that they take notes. So, like, I I want to know who's going to be the designated note taker for the players in that game because it can't be me. I we'll, think it's going to going to be me because I, I but probably not like I have you, I have you seen do good her. notes like I have so many times in the games that we're in like her me, you, notes and are illustrated. I know, yeah, like it's it's like a module. It is flipping I'm through just, there. Did you see the the post in the Discord with the outline? Yes. for the notes for the game we're about to jump into. <laughs> yes, I was like, oh god. Man, I gotta do that. I gotta make like an itinerary. Like, all right, this is how this game's fixed Get to go. Obsidian. 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 Uh, it used to be called Obsidian Portal when it first came out. Now it's just Obsidian. It is a great tool. Please sponsor us. And I love it's it's a please. <laughs> it's amazing. We'll have to get into that. This is a hard question. I've had a lot of good backstories <laughs> given to me. Some that were more fleshed out as the game progressed. Don't the feel obligated to pick one of my backstories, Brody. <laughs> I will let you off the hook. <laughs> Uh, we know. Man. Look, the only backstory I have with him was my Sergeant Blackstone for the Aliens game, okay? And it, there weren't a lot of emotion in that, that one. That asshole shot me. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. The alien got you. I shot the alien. 
Yeah, but I was in the alien at the time, so technically. <laughs> you are technically correct, which as Futurama has told us is the best kind of correct. Um, man. I'm having a hard time thinking of, of one. Like, everybody at some point has given me really good ones with like some juicy story tidbits to pull from or to like you were saying like oh wow that's way better than what i had let me scribble that out and write that in i love when they give you city names like i, I like that name i want to make this a city yes, of my world naming now. is yeah. the hardest oh, part God, yes. of world building Naming's easy for me. I love. I've got stuff. so many name generators, and like I, I try to have like all my names fit something. Like in my, uh, the one of my continents called Marat, which is like the sort of, you know, Mediterranean uh, sort of southeastern African area. I like Morocco, that kind of stuff. I literally have an Arabic translator where the the name of the biggest desert in my world is called the Adarak. Well, the Adarak is a, is a derivative of the Arabic word for hot. I remember you telling me this. So literally, the biggest desert in my world is called the hot desert. (laughs) I'm going to circle back to James's question, but something I wanted to point out about that is the reason why I struggle so much with naming right now is because my my setting is is heavily tailored to a specific uh, culture. That's fair. So next time, the ne- the other project I'm working on is less that. <laughs> so I can go, names, woo! Well, that's that easy. Be anything. Yeah. You, you take a consonant, add three consonants behind it, and you put either an A or an E. And then just more consonants, you know? Uh, or this, R's. Or uh, this is the town of Rondrosvir, or uh, the, the Norgalion Sea, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because I am apologizing <laughs> to my players. I have to put... <laughs> I can't I pronounce half the stuff pronunciation you, guys yeah. by characters and places <laughs> names so that they know how to pronounce them. I I think the I think my favorite Brody story Brody story was when it was a live stream and you posted something and I just instantly spotted like perfect uh, Norwegian pronunciation everything and you were just like how did you pronounce that that fast? Meanwhile, I'm looking at my little uh, NPC sheet that Brody gave me. And I was like, is this person's name ass? <laughs> Brody, this is ass. <laughs> I'll say. Looks like ass to me. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, backstories. They're great. <laughs> they are amazing. Uh, shoot. I mean, so one of, I'm on, I'm not going to say their name. They're, they're going to know who they are. There's there's one that I was given years ago for a game of ages past that um, was really good. They had uh, they had their their own place. They had um, uh, they had kids. They had like I'm shoot. I'm trying to trying to figure out how to say it without actually coming out but um it was so so well thought out they had like a a traumatic which you know that's that just kind of goes not trauma in a backstory yeah, trauma, trauma in, a backstory. in a backstory that's a novel idea we should capitalize Le on gas they had uh a well-off family they were powerful they had a lot of family members uh they were well respected well well liked everybody in the their their town loved them uh, basically it was like you could, the closest thing you could think of to paradise was, was this place. Oh. The dad, the head of that family went psycho for reasons that was explained later, killed everybody in their oh, family, except for the son 
who escaped barely with his life, and that the player was the son. Oh wow! So the whole point of their story was uh, getting stronger, training so that they could hunt their dad down and get revenge for what he did. Well, part of his journey was figuring out the, what else am I supposed to do with my life? Like dad ruined everything. So when he got to that point where he actually had to confront his dad and it was over, he was just like, now what do I do? And he had to have a moment of self-discovery. It's like, you know, everything that I knew as a kid is gone. Like the town, the people, the family that he had, he had, he basically sat out from that point there to rebuild from scratch. And the, his story ended with him starting a new family. He had kids and basically rebuilt an empire from the ground up with just a small town with a handful of people and friends that he made along the way that moved here to be part of his community with his family. So basically it came full circle that, to yeah, like a cool. Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. I love it when the story uh, of the game ends connecting backstories. Yeah. That's really awesome. Speaking of ending and connecting backstories, we're getting pretty close. We we are. I I had uh I had one more question to add because you mentioned uh my my what are some tips? For, what are some I guess I've some red flags that you should try to avoid in your backstory. Uh, one thing I do is I don't. You don't want to go too detailed in certain things. The point where yeah. there is no way to fit your backstory into the world. Yeah. Or if you try to add something into your backstory where the DM doesn't allow in their world. Like I keep getting so upset that nobody at this shop allows Gunslinger. <laughs> Depends on the setting. If it helps any, I'm fixing to start. Uh, I've got like three sessions left on my Saturday game, and I'm going to be running modular one shots. It's a continuous story. Yeah. The characters move in and out. Ooh. It is a supernatural hunter style game. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there will be lots of guns, salt, all that stuff. Like, I, for instance, I had a game where this guy came in basically saying he had, uh, like, he was the greatest sailor in the world. This, that, the other. I'm like, man, this, this is a, it's a, it's a module that takes place in a landlocked city. There is no Ferdinand Magellan. Yeah, there's no ocean. You can't. There's no. No, no, there's you can't grow up on the docks in the city. There is no docks, that kind of thing. Hey, Xander was playing kind of that character, and uh, I told him, I said, "Well, you know, we're we're not going to be on the sea all the time. Uh, what I'll do is I'm going to give you and uh, you'll roll at disadvantage using to navigate around the land." Yeah, and like I did not tell him the flip side of that, but he's like, "Okay," because it played into his character. So he spends all this time being completely inept, finding his way around in the game, and then they get on a boat. <laughs> And he's he's got a background as a sailor. He's respected on the sea. I'm in my element. And he gets to that wheel because, like, the, the captain's down. He has to steer the boat. And I was like, okay, give me that role at advantage. And he'd been doing disadvantage on land moving around this whole time. And he gets advantage all the time when he's at that wheel now. And, like, his eyes perked <laughs> up. And he was like, dun, dun, dun. So I know we're about to run out of time, but you made me think of something and I create problems for myself all the time. One of the ones that I was going to say is if you're going to make a setting, do one world, don't make nine because when your players are from different realms, you have to figure out how to connect backstories that way. <laughs> See, I, I did the thing where I have, I took my world and then I went to, I, I have my world. Then I did what every other fantasy, I have the elemental planes, I have the Feywilds, that's it. 
they're already set up. I don't have to do anything else. They're there. I don't have to, you know, there aren't nine other realms that I have to figure out how they're working after the fall of the gods. Which, yeah, Brody, you, I have to, I have to give you massive props on that, man. That is the fact that you know exactly what is going on, or at least partially in every one of the nine realms. I do. And Yggdrasil itself, I assume. Time doesn't stop. So the other, <laughs> uh, there's events happening in the other realms. So, like, Addressing both of you guys, one of my favorite things about that, the Nine Realms thing, is that in your game, if I remember correctly, Earth is canonical. Like, we exist? Every world that you could think of rests on Yggdrasil's branches. The Core Nine is the ones from Norse mythology. So somewhere on one of those branches, you could find the right right uh, Bifrost. I, I remember there's a character in that first campaign that is from Earth. Yes, I remember that because, like, when that when you dropped that, I don't know if you did it in some of the extra story stuff or what. But it was like, an, is alternate Earth, but it is Earth. Yeah. But like when you dropped it, I was like, "Wait a minute, what?" You, you realize that well, I was about, uh, "Hey, Cashmere, you want to come to Zendris?" I would love to come to Zendris. <laughs> I'll take. I enjoy playing Cash so much. Um, I will take him anywhere. So I did that on purpose for uh, friends that have like uh, OCs and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Be able to be like crossover. And be like, hey, I did my character. And then when they showed up, they were like, I drew my character in like Viking style garb. And it was like, uh, see, you mean it's kind of like planeswalking yeah. in Magic the so Gathering. Shout out to being here. Does that mean at some point we're going to have like 30 soul stones helping us out? <laughs> yes, it's going to happen. There's going to be a, a uh, it's going to be like an end game moment. Portals open, the Bifrost all open and, and 30 soul stones walk out. Done. Or 300 game ends. Real quick, you mentioned something kind of another red flag for uh, backstories is OCs. I love OCs. I've got tons of OCs, various things. And it's okay if you want to bring your OC into a game, but that's where you need to sit down with a dungeon master and say, okay, here's my OCs, their backstory. How can I make this work in your world? Yes. I understand I may have to move some things out. Don't try. You know what? That's something we didn't even talk about this. The main part of your backstory, it should be, hey, DM, here's what I have. What do you think? So to play off that real quick, because I know we're getting on time. I got another one. I got another one. We found a real juicy moment. Uh, Yeah, y'all just kind of to edit this thing for time. Sorry. I had a friend uh, that did that. And one of the things they asked me was, I want to draw my character in your setting. And he goes, so what are the laws that Yggdrasil holds over this realm when you come to it? And I said, that is a good question. Because on the world that my character came from, Stuff is allowed this way. So when I travel here, what can't I do? Those dragon boards don't exist in the Staganda universe. So that's that's cool. So the faux pas for backstories you had mentioned. Yeah. Um, it is very situational what I'm about to say. Uh, and I would say you need to have conversation with both the GM and the other player or players that may be involved. Don't don't write irresolvable conflicts into your backstory with other characters. Other yes, players please, yes. that are playing. So I say that situational because it is super juicy to write conflict with other characters into your backstory in a way that helps build your and their character. Now, the characters may not know about this, but the player most certainly needs to. Yes. Um, it needs to, and you guys should, at some to some degree, discuss how you want to move that forward in a healthy, character-developing way. The Legolas and Gimli of the group. Exactly. Yes. That's a perfect example, right? That's what you want if there's some, some character-on-character conflict. You yes. want Legolas and Gimli. Uh, you don't want to wreck a campaign because... There's no resolution for you and another character's backstories. Yeah. 
So be careful with that, and it and it's perfectly okay to bump up against it, but talk to the other person or persons, talk to the GM. That's, that's just, out of game. Thing. That's that's something that like if if your character is going to do something that is going to affect or influence someone else's character, like another PC, talk to that player. Say, hey, I want to do this beforehand. Yes, Be- beforehand. Yeah, because I've been in the games where like somebody does something, and you know, uh, I attack the dwarf. Why? Well, because dwarves kill my family. I don't like dwarves. This what? And you're just suddenly trying to figure out what to do. Like, That's not in your backstory. He goes, yeah, it is. My you know family was killed by by raiders. You didn't say it was dwarves. Well, I just and it was yeah that kind of stuff. So yeah, like a healthy way to do that is there's distrust there between the characters in the game, and there are situations where that kind of plays out, and there's maybe a little sniping. But if you do it that way, you have that uh, wonderful moment where that gets set aside for some type of greater good, you, insert MacGuffin here, you whatever. Have prime example of that, Aaron, Casey's character, discovering that Matt's character, Draven, uh, has connections, his his home has connections to the enemy that is currently <laughs> trying to invade Aaron's home. Yeah. There was tension there, but it sort of slowly began to resolve itself because Aaron began to see that Draven is not the person that uh, he is b- believing like the rest of his people are. Yeah. Th- those moments are fantastic. When when your character's prejudices and issues and just emotional baggage get confronted with something that changes the way they think about it. I never thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. What about side by side with a friend? I lad. I. <laughs> Do I need to give you guys some time? <laughs> Speaking of time, (laughs) well, with that, folks, we're going to wrap up today's conversation on backstories and origins. Uh, We hope you've garnered some information from the many, many rabbit holes and uh, tunnels we chased it down today. But uh, if you would like to hear more for us from us, please, as always, listen to us on where you've listened to your podcasts, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Playing With Advantage. Without you guys, we cannot do this. Uh, also, as always, shout out to the great, amazing role players of Stagande Scars of Midgard. You can tune into them. Tune into them on Twitch every Sunday at one p.m. one p.m. Central, Central Standard, Standard Time. Time. Uh, Followed up shortly by the Natural Ones at six p.m. Oh. Central Standard Time. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, follow us where you see us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, we are everywhere, and we are nowhere. Nowhere, everywhere. Not folks. on the street. Don't follow us on the street. <laughs> please, please, That's please, weird. Please don't follow us on the street. That one is weird. Uh, but yeah, so with that, I'm going to s- sign off with this is Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. the Southern GM. I'm James at the Hive. Love you guys. Stay safe. Brody Elder Finn. And as always, be good to each other. You only get one shot. Later.
Looks like ass to me.